The Pre-Med Year, session number 339. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the pre-med years. Welcome back. If this is not your first time here, if this is your first time here, make sure that wherever you are listening, you click subscribe. If you're listening to this right now on my website, medicalschoolhq.net, click on the little Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast button, open up your app of choice and click subscribe so that you can get all of these podcasts for free every week. If you are struggling or have struggled with organic chemistry, or you are about to struggle with organic chemistry, meaning you haven't taken it yet, but you will soon. Trust me, you will struggle. Maybe not, hopefully not. Uh, Organic chemistry for me uh, actually clicked. I I loved organic chemistry. I loved my professor. I took an accelerated bio-organic chemistry at the University of Florida. It was like two semesters instead of three for organic one and two and biochem, I think, something like that. But I loved it. But the majority of students, if you say ochem, they say weed out, right? You say ochem, I say weed out. And that's what happens. So today, we're going to talk to a student who struggled with ochem, and it made her doubt herself, made her wonder if this was the path for her. So take a listen, get some inspiration. I'll see you on the other side. Adlita, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Adlita, I want to talk about organic chemistry. Not just organic chemistry, but chemistry in general. Your <laughs> path to medicine, as is for many pre-med students, hit a little bit of a speed bump with organic chemistry. Let's talk about organic chemistry and what that did to your path to medical school. Sure. Um, So, you know, I went into school um, from Tennessee to Michigan to a small liberal arts school called Hope College and went in with the idea knowing that I would major in international studies um, because um, just learning more about the world and languages was really important to me. I also knew that um, I had a knack for um, just the human body, love learning anatomy. Um, And so I knew that, you know, somewhere down the line, I would be working with people, um, taking care of them in some way. I just didn't know what that would look like. So my idea was, hey, you know, let's start off with the pre-med track um, as I'm taking my general education requirements. And of course, that included chemistry, general chemistry. And I remember my second semester, first year. Um, making a wonderful C minus in general chemistry too. Uh, I thought it was pretty abstract. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, But I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to track along. Let's see how organic chemistry does. Um, Because I know that's, you know, different. Um, Definitely different. And sure enough, yeah, I just realized how much um, of a different language it, it is. And sitting in the seat, looking at, the professor drawing on chalk, um, drawing out the reactions. And, you know, as students, we're all frantically writing down, you know, 
what he's drawing out. And little did I know I was not really learning. That was not the best way for me to learn. Organic was literally trying to draw out reactions. You're drawing them out incorrectly. You're not really understanding electron flow. Um, And I think also I didn't realize that before I started to struggle, really struggle in the class that I should have been reaching out um, for a tutor. I think the way that I went through high school, you know, it was in Nashville where I'm from, a magnet school that focused on the health engineering sciences. So I wasn't used to having a tutor. I thought, you know, tutoring meant you were failing. Like it was uh, what would help you not fail. Not that you could actually use a tutor um, to keep you accountable, to keep you on top of doing well. And so I, in a way, it's like, I wish I had known, you know, to utilize that service earlier. Um, But I think I squeaked out with a C minus in organic chemistry. And that literally, it just made me go, man, if this is medical school, you know, then I must not be bright enough at all for this. Um, And I still want patient care somehow. So I guess, you know, I'm just going to let go of that idea um, and look at what other profession can bring me close to the bedside of patients. So I was literally looking into um, physician assistant programs and um, what it takes to become a nurse practitioner. Um, And again, because I enjoy, um, I actually want to study and, and live abroad at some point in life and take care of patients, you know, I actually realized um, later on that being a nurse practitioner in this country um, with the job responsibilities may not translate to other countries allowing you to do that. Um, But either way, I knew that medical school must not be for me. I'm I'm just not bright enough. So (laughs) I, I let that go. I let it go and continued on with my international studies major and continued taking sciences for nursing. So now then I became on track um, for nursing school. Did you get any feedback from advisors or anyone else saying that you couldn't go down this path or was it all pretty much internal? Oh, no, it was not internal. So we only had one pre-med advisor. I mean, the school is very small, still, I think approximately 3000 students. Um, And so the one pre-med advisor, you know, he'd been there for a long time. So, you know, you, you trust his advice because he's seen, you know, people go through. And so he just, you know, I sat down with him and, you know, he just kind of encouraged me to look elsewhere. That was <laughs> really what it was. You know, I actually thought and I wish that he had dispelled this thought and maybe he didn't know himself. But I wish I had been told then that, you know, you could actually just retake these classes. You know, I thought literally it was a one shot deal. You made that see it's over. Like, you know, you only get one shot through this and that's it. Um, and, and that was kind of the culture of what I was going, you know, in, in the college or within my pre-med friend group. It was almost like, you know, you got to get through this that first time and you better you ha- very well have to learn fast and do well. And if you can't hold up, then, you know, find something else you know, to do. It sounded like there was some fear potentially as well of of if I can't do well in an undergrad chemistry class, then how am I ever going to pass medical school? Was there some self-doubt in there as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember thinking that. I think that's what gave me the peace to let that go. So it was like, well, Alita, if it's going to be this hard and, you know, or even more difficult in medical school with what you have to know and the details of that and the speed in which you have to learn it, then if you can't pass, you know, general chemistry two or organic chemistry one, you know, then maybe that means you 
um, are not cut out. Maybe that means, you know, you won't be able to pass and go through medical school. So it actually had given me a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To say, you know, let this go and let's think of something else. Talk about the the knowledge. It seems like you came to an awareness at some point when you were talking about the the way that the OCHEM was taught and it just wasn't the way that you learned it. When you retook organic chemistry, how did you figure out what to do differently and, and what worked well for you? Um, so, you know, I think it, it had me shaking a little bit like, oh, no, <laughs> here's that class. Here we go again. <laughs> but um, thankfully, um, the professor, uh, she was amazing. First of all, that helped. Um, Did you take the same class, same professor? No, okay. not at all. Um, I actually ended up taking organic chemistry over before I graduated so that, you know, I didn't want that to hurt my GPA as much. Um, and I also wanted to prove to myself I could do it. So I literally took it in my senior year. I believe it was like the fall semester, um, because I wanted to replace that C. Um, and sure enough, it was taught in such a different way, just the way it was taught and the things that were emphasized. I was like, this feels like a, a new class to me. I think I ended up coming out of there with a B minus instead of a C minus, which I was fine with. Um, <laughs> I really was. I was like, I actually really enjoyed organic, just like I thought I initially did. I was like, I actually enjoyed the chemistry. Um, but the way that it was taught, it wasn't all this writing on the, on the board. It was more of, um, you know, he wanted you to listen to him, see what he was doing. And then we would do practice problems versus spending a whole 50 minute lecture um, of us literally just copying down your chalkboard pieces. Um, it, it was just drastically different. I ended up taking it again once I realized, you know, I was seriously going to do the pre-med track, you know, to and through as as I was working as a nurse. Um, and when I took it um, that that last time, um, she had included, the professor actually had brought in more of the um, online homework where, um, you were doing practice problems online. It was in a way teaching you. And then in class, we were just doing practice problems after practice problems. It was not her drawing things out. Things were already kind of printed out where you're literally just using arrows to show where electrons go or how, you know what I mean? Like it was much more practical, much more practice based. Um, it wasn't you literally drawing out what the book was showing you. And that's what I felt my very first experience was. Um, it, with it being chalkboard, you know, and then me not realizing I have short, short attention spans. So it just was not a good mix. <laughs> Whereas when you're in another class and she's asking you, you know, to show her how to do something, you know, after she's just shown you, uh, it was just more interactive and they use more, um, online, um, modules to, to get the points across that were really important. So three tries at organic chemistry. Did that come up in any of your interviews? Nope, not at all. Not at no. all. Wow, crazy. It's amazing what schools do or don't care about. <laughs> right? <laughs> Completely different than what the pre-med world thinks. But, but you know what? I will say that I think one of my um, letter writers, um, he was actually my general chemistry lab professor for the entire you know, first year, my freshman year of college. Um, and 
I had asked him, you know, to write me a letter for like a scholarship that had nothing to do with medicine. And I actually told him, I encouraged him to write about that. I encouraged him to write about my C turning into a B. Um, it didn't have to be an A. It, I was proud of that B minus, you know, I was mm. proud. Like, and he, and he wrote that. And I think he, I didn't get to see the letter obviously for medical school, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he had left that in there. You know, he knew how hard I was working. He knew how determined I was to at least bring that letter grade up yeah. um, and how proud I was. And so I think, yeah, I think also, you know, when you're applying to medical school, you know, they ask you, you know, uh, or not everyone, but most do ask, like, you know, what's been difficult for you and how have you overcome those difficulties? And um, there are times where I've mentioned, you know, struggling with chemistry you know, and not giving up and utilizing tutors earlier um, and not being afraid to reach out um, when I don't know something. And that's made a world of difference. Um, And then the way that the actual class is taught, I realize is also very beneficial. You actually have to know how you learn as a student, um, you know, to be confident in doing well. And I think that's something I didn't know at, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old. So you said earlier that you were okay letting the pre-med world go. You had self-doubt of whether or not you could even succeed in medical school. Your advisor is encouraging encouraging you to look elsewhere. You were working as a nurse going down this path. What was it that that kind of aided you to say, this isn't what I want? Okay. So, um, I actually moved to Chicago after graduating and um, my whole focus was to get into nursing school after graduating. I was like, you know, I don't know anyone in this city. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, but, you know, it's a sink or swim and I'm going to swim like I'm going to be successful. So um, my whole two years before getting into nursing school was making sure that I could I thought that I could enjoy nursing. And I realized that I love teaching and I love patient um, education, um, and patient advocacy. And so going through nursing school, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is for me. I, I, I love taking care of people and, um, I love making sure that, you know, their doubts and fears are alleviated. And so I, I felt that my personality, you know, fit that. And I do believe it does. I'm not saying that it doesn't. However, when I graduated and started working, um, at one of the academic hospitals, um, here in Chicago, it took a couple of months because, you know, as a new nurse, it's overwhelming uh, taking care of people. You know, you're praying that people won't pass away on you. You know, you have that fear because it's really uh, you that have to, you know, know the signs and symptoms of someone um, being septic or not, you know, you, and so you're afraid when it's brand new. And so I was really terrified at the beginning. I think it takes a couple of months to kind of get over that um, and then to build your confidence as a nurse. So I was, you know, distracted with just being the best nurse that I could be. But once I started getting the hang of it, I think it, right into like the eight month mark um, going into the year, um, I realized I was like, wait, OK, so I'm waiting on the next step, like the next thing that I do. Right. So it's like, well, I know how to empty this and put NG tubes in or IV. You know, I, I know how to do these things. And and I, I'm understanding now my role better and and I'm able to carry out orders and I'm going. So what's next? You know, And then I realized, wait. There is no really next. It's this is what it is. And I and I just remember, you know, when I have patients and I would be hanging antibiotics in my mind, I'm going, why are they you know, why did they choose this antibiotic? 
why, you know, why are they choosing these three antibiotics? Um, what's going on with the patient? You know, I really wish I could, could understand that more. I'd go into the, the notes of the physicians and I'd be reading. And I, I just remember coming across acronyms that I didn't recognize. I was like, I didn't learn this in nursing, you know, <laughs> I mean, nursing teaches you a lot of acronyms because you kind of have to have some type of uh, knowledge of uh, medical acronyms to get by. But obviously you won't know all of them. And so it bothered me. It actually bothered me when I didn't know like heart failure, preserved ejection fraction, and they write HFPEV. And I'm just like, or HFPEF. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like I, I've heard of reduced ejection fraction, but what is preserved? You know, mm-hmm. just things like that would bother me. I was just like, how come I don't know this? <laughs> um it, I, I just felt like that was so important to the story of the patient. And I found myself wanting to be like part of that, uh, the decision making on what happens to the patient mm-hmm. or finding out what, you know, why they're sick. Um, not, not just the comfort, because that's, that was my portion is to comfort the patient, um, you know, to give the medications to um, whatever things that I need to do that's invasive, you know, do those things. But yeah. it wasn't about finding out, oh, they, you know, this is the new diagnosis. Maybe I would be the one to teach them about the diagnosis. But, and I, I wanted to know, I found myself getting frustrated. Like, I can't continue doing just the tasks of nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was, um, I felt like um, I had to make a decision you know, coming up on the one year anniversary, you know, one year anniversary of being a nurse, I was like, okay, I have to figure out, am I okay with doing this? And then, you know, I think for what many people don't know, the nursing is very physical, especially in the hospital. Um, it's a very physical job. Um, you'll find a lot of younger new nurses um, tired after two or three years because it's very physical. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously being a CNA or a certified nursing assistant or a nurse, um, yeah, nurse tech, PCT, whatever you want to call it, I feel that that is that's even more physical, and people don't realize that that you know people do these jobs, these really great jobs of taking care of patients, but it really pulls on your body. And that was another thing I was like, you know, I can't even do this for another five years. I don't think that I could physically. I don't think I want to physically do this because it can really break you down. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was another thing. I was like, you know, if I'm being realistic. You know, I have to decide something. Um, and so I said, you know what? <laughs> like it's there's a there's a fire kind of in my bones. Like, let's let's try this. And so what I told myself was, you know what? You still have to work full time. You know, you have bills now. Um, finally, you're you're getting paid. <laughs> you, you've not seen a check for a long time since you graduated. So <laughs> money is nice. <laughs> <laughs> you have to live a little also. Right. So yeah. um, I promised myself, OK. I'm going to keep working because I was working full time nights, Um, but I'm going to start taking two classes each semester um, for pre-med. And if I do well, I keep going. And if I don't, I will stop, you know, because that's stressful. Yeah. Um, Before you got to that point, when you were working as a nurse and you're like, I want to know more of this. I want to I want to know these acronyms and these abbreviations and and know more of of the diagnosis and, and all of that other stuff. Were you talking to other nurses thinking maybe I'm the weird one here and, and I shouldn't be worried about all of this or did, did, was that something that you ever discussed with other nurses about the feelings that you were having? 
so I remember, uh, I mean, because I still work as a nurse PR in it, like as needed, um, at the same facility. Um, and I, I know from the beginning, uh, of becoming a nurse, what I found was that I was always that nurse. It was like, she's always the one who's asking all these questions and you don't need to ask those questions because mm. so when I would get report or give report, you know, on a patient, you know, especially if I'm getting report, people knew that I was very meticulous. So some people were like, got ready for it. They're like, Oh, I knew you were coming Alita, And I have to explain why this is happening to the patient because I know you're going to ask, you know, and some people I think at the beginning didn't realize I wasn't doing that. Uh, I think people took it a wrong way because, you know, there are things sometimes you just don't need to know. So I think they were thinking I was just being difficult. But then people realize, no, she actually wants to know. <laughs> uh, so I found, and that's still how I am, um, very thorough with my report and giving or getting report. Um, and I ask a lot of questions uh, because I, I am very meticulous. Uh, and I found that, you know, I would ask or, you know, I was on a post-surgical floor. It was like a multi-specialty floor where you had obviously various surgical specialties like ob gyne on, um, ortho. It was a mix, ENT, plastics. And so I just remember I, there was one ob gyne patient. And again, I didn't know the medical lingo of what an oophorectomy was versus a salpingoectomy. And, and I asked the nurse, you know, okay, so I can tell that that's, you know, she had her ovaries removed, but what is the, you know, <laughs> they were like, let's look it up. And it bothered, well, it bothered me. I was like, well, then how are we taking care of these patients? And we don't know yeah. the procedures that's going on. We don't really have to in a way. Um, but it bothered me. I was like, we should know these things. Um, but I found that I actually, instead of talking with other nurses, it was more of, well, Alita just likes to ask all these questions. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you don't need to know all of that. Just know that, you know, the patient's having this fluid running at this rate, you know, this fully, you know, yeah. focus on those things. And I was like, ah, that's not enough for me. And I think that's what uh, kept me going. Like, you know, it's not enough. And if this is all there is, you know, in doing my job, which is great in a way for my personality, I, I, I can't hang, like I can't yeah. keep doing this. So that's, that's really what it was. I, I remember meeting one nurse. She's still there. Um, she's a little bit older. She has like two grown twins. And she said, Alita, if I could go back, I would have become a doctor. Mm. And I said, well, why don't you do it now? You know, it's never too late. Never too late. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it really isn't. She's like, well, you know, I just, you know, life, job responsibilities, mortgage, all these things. Um, but I encouraged her. So why not? So what, yes. what is it about medical schools? You're working as a nurse. It seems like potentially the easier path for you would go be an NP. Did you explore that at all? Exactly. So, I mean, I think that was probably the most difficult uh, decision because for me, going into nursing, again, came back from my first undergrad experience where I said, oh, I'm not bright enough to be a physician. Well, like, what else is there? Well, I could become a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner. And so the idea of going into nursing was to eventually become the nurse practitioner, really. Um, and so I remember, you know, I had to ask myself, okay, so do you want to be the practitioner or not? What's the difference? So I started looking up um, online the different curriculums of um, NPs, the fact that you can do it online, some programs, you know, uh, their master's 
and then you can become an NP. Now there are nursing programs where you can become the doctor of nursing practice, the DNP. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I mean, the degree wasn't the big deal. I didn't want to go to school just to become a doctor. That wasn't the purpose. It was just more of the job responsibilities. But I was bothered by not only the diversity of the curriculum. I mean, I like that it actually helps for those who are working, right? It, it kind of helps encourage you to, you know, you're able to still work and then go to school. Um, I didn't like that, you know, uh, how can I say it? For me, it was, I wanted the depth of knowledge to include the biochemistry that I actually have to know, to include the genetics that I have to know, to look at pathology slides. Like I, I wanted that depth. And I, and I knew that um, going through a nurse practitioner program, yes, you can take, you take care of patients. Um, you, you have to learn disease and management. Um, but it was the depth that I actually wanted. Um, I, I felt that if I was to go into medical school, I wanted to know or at least have an inkling of knowing how to take care of a very, very ill patient, um, just from my net medical knowledge, not that I went into critical care, you know, fellowship, just knowing that someone is super sick, having some type of base of knowledge to take care of them. To me, that's what, you know, a physician or a healer, you know, is. And I wanted that knowledge mm-hmm. or to at least be exposed to it. And so I think that's what pushed me away. I mean, my uh, the university, the academic hospital where I work actually pays um, for nurses, you know, who want to be nurse practitioners. It pays their tuition 100 percent if you get a master, 75 percent if you get the doctor of nursing practice. So it was very enticing. I think for me, I'm not someone who likes to take um, the easy way simply because it's the easy way. You know, I take the way that I think is best for me. And, you know, I had gone on um, the Internet and looked, you know, at other nurses who, you know, were thinking about becoming physicians. And, you know, a lot of them would say, you you only live life once, you know, if you're going to turn 40, you know, you might as well turn 40 with the degree that you want, with the experiences of life that you want and not be um, regretful. And that is to me a more satisfying life. Um, So I said, you know what, it's going to be hard. It's going to be long, but I think the whole journey, not the end result, but the, the journey I'm actually enjoying it, even though it is tough, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes uh, complete sense. How did you handle, once you decided to go back to school, you said you were working full-time doing nights as a nurse, going back to school as well. What did that look like as far as energy levels and being able to balance it all? Yeah, I don't think I was um, good at balancing. I think I actually gained a lot of weight just from the high cortisol levels of being up almost 24 hours sometimes. Um, so it would be, it may look like me working three nights, uh, three night shifts of 12 hours in a row. Um, and then being able to go to school Monday through Thursday, you know, I would work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which actually was very depressing because you really felt like you could see no one, you know, people are out (laughs) on the weekends and then you're at work at night. (laughs) So you have to sleep during the day and then people are at work during the weekday and you're at school or sleeping. Um, so it was actually, it could be very depressing not being able to see everyone, um, including friends and family. Um, but then I would break it up sometimes again, based on, you know, the classes because classes change each semester. So my work schedule would change to accommodate me being able to go to class, um, and then, uh, recuperate (laughs) and, um, it changed based on, you know, the semester, but I think that was the beauty of, 
um, being a full-time nurse and working 12-hour shifts is that it's very flexible. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's how I got through it. I looked at, you know, trying to keep my classes as close together as possible. But there were times where I'd get off work. I remember one semester, the very first semester, I'd get off work um, in the morning. You know, I'm exhausted. And I have class at, you know, one o'clock. And I've been up since yesterday, you know, and I would go to class. And um, that was hard. But uh, and I would tell the professors, you know, for anyone who works nights, it doesn't have to be in nursing. You just let your professors know um, the situation. And when they see that you're still doing well, because, you know, I, I would fall asleep sometimes. They'd see me come in with my scrubs. I'm exhausted, you know, tired. Um, they knew that I worked the night before because I've already let them know. Um, but, it, but I'm also doing well in the class. So it's like, don't mind my tiredness. I'm here because I have to be, uh, because attendance is somehow part of this grade. So I'm here, but uh, it's not that I'm clueless. You know, I've done my work. I do my homework. So um, I find find them to be actually very supportive when they see that you have that ambition about you. You know what I mean? That it's like, yeah, you work, but that's not an excuse, right? Like you're only motivated. You know, you you have a hustle about you. um, You have a focus about you. And so I find people who see that in individuals, they tend to try to help those people out. Were there any more hiccups along the way doing your pre-med classes while working as a nurse? Um, my parents you know, who um, do not live together, they individually file for disability. And for those who have parents or family members on disability, um, those individuals no longer can work physically. Um, and if it's not retirement age, you know, someone has to be taking care of them, right? And yeah. it's usually the older um, children or the more, I shouldn't say older, the responsible children. Um, and I think that's exactly what happened. So here I am, you know, I'm already pulled with work um, and school because I'm paying out of pocket, you know, for school. And, you know, my parents are saying, hey, you know, I need help paying the rent. I need help you know, money wise. And it's like, wow, um, you know, me and my husband are very um, limited, but we have to make this work. And, you know, I'm from Tennessee and that's where all my family is from. And that's where they are right now. Um, So it was actually really difficult because at least in Tennessee, it takes a very long time for individuals to actually get approved for disability. Um, I think it was more than two years. Whereas I think here in Illinois, I know someone, she only waited one year. You know, it's a world of difference because that's no income bills continue to come, you know, you still need to go to the hospital, um, as the person with the disability, you know, and for those who are waiting, you know, it, it can hit on confidence, you know, um, I found that with my parents, you know, it kind of hit their confidence and, um, and it also made me and, and my, my brothers, we were also stressed because, you know, we're trying to support and uh, we're also trying to pay our mortgages and our, <laughs> mm-hmm. and our cars and, and all these things. So I think that was one uh, huge thing. It actually it almost broke me. <laughs> um, but um, they, were ab- they were able to be approved. And um, yeah, that really helped. Um, mm-hmm. I think another thing was, as I was, um, I had all my documents in order for applying um, to medical schools and my husband's parents um, who are from um, Central Africa, you know, his father was ill and needed to come here for medical care. 
And here I am in the summer. It was probably June, July. It was July. And I was trying to take the MCAT in August. It was like one of the last dates. I had everything else in, you know, all, you know, recommendation letter. Everything was done. And I thought that I would have, you know, this my summer. I work a little. I study a lot. And both the, his mom and father came and they were ill. And that meant that, you know, for us, we needed to take on the responsibility of getting them the care, seeing the specialists. Again, there's no health insurance, so we're paying out of pocket. You know, they're staying with us and, you know, just cultural values, you know, and culture. You know, you have to, there are certain things that they expect of you without saying, right? And that was probably the most difficult. I, you know, I was actually very frustrated. It almost felt like a, you know, two whole years of working up to this point, it was like being jeopardized <laughs> because I wasn't able to study. Um, and I was just like, my God, like I worked this hard up to this point. Is this another test? I can't understand it um, because I cannot delay. You know, it was like if I do horrible or not, you know, they're going to get this score and I'm going to submit these applications <laughs> because everything is in, you know, Um and sure enough, I think they left literally a week and a half before I took the MCAT, of which I had to reschedule three times because they were there and I was not. Ready. Yeah, exactly. So I was not ready. I could not study. I was still working, you know, because bills need to be paid. Um, and that was, that was I mean, <laughs> so the moral of the story is bills are, are really the the downfall of every every pre-med. Well, no. I mean, it's like when you, you know, you, you're not able to live with your parents, um, when you are, you know, the first generation college student getting settled, um, and you decided to buy a house because, you know, you want your, really, you, you want to build wealth for your family in the future. This is, you have to work or there has to be some type of income or someone has to help you. And the thing is with coming from low income family, you don't have your family helping you monetarily because they they're unable. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, it's, so it's think, a story for most non trads. They're they're out exactly. there working, and and you start to build a life, which means starting to get into debt and have bills and all this other stuff. And it it's that much harder to to change directions because you have all of your momentum going in one way. And it's scary to to rip that out from underneath you and and say, you know what, they, I'm going to take a lot of risk by going this other path, but I, I need to go this other path or else exactly. I'm, I'm not going to be happy. So you got there. Talk about, so you're in Chicago working as a nurse, taking classes, and you got into the University of Illinois in Chicago. Now, it's it's not the easiest thing to do to go, hey... I'm in Chicago. I own a house here. I'm just going to go to University of Illinois, Chicago. That's where I'm going to go to medical school and apply to this one school and, and I'm going to get in. What was that like for you to, to, to maybe introduce yourself to the school and say, hello, I'm here. I want to stay here uh, and actually get in. What was that like for you? Um, so, I mean, it wasn't the only school that I applied to, but I definitely had to take into consideration that I you know, couldn't be moving across you know, the country. I knew that, you know, I had a home and, you know, that limited me to where I wanted to be. And I was like, let me just be very honest with myself. I'm not going to move to Texas, even though their tuition is wonderfully less expensive than most of the country. Um, I knew that, you know, my husband, you know, because when you are 
bound with someone else or you have a significant other or family, um, you do actually, I mean, medicine is such a, it's a huge choice to take in life because it affects everyone around you. And um, you have to take into consideration those that are traveling with you this journey. So I know my husband didn't want to really leave the city. And, you know, because University of Illinois has three separate campuses, you know, it has Chicago, Peoria, Rockford, and we live maybe an hour away from Rockford. You know, it was really in the back of my mind that, hey, if I get sent to Rockford, then, you know, I'm still going to go. I'm going to go. Um, I think with UIC, that's, that's the acronym, um, we, they ask you um, to, to rank locations of those three sites. And so obviously Chicago for most people, you know, will be number one. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that was it. I also knew, and I looked it up as well, because I knew I wouldn't be the first person with a family living in the city, right? Going to medical school. I knew I I was not first to do that. Um, I was actually pregnant while going on interviews um, with our our child. And, How pregnant um, were you during your interviews? So I think if I was interviewing in like January, um, my daughter was due in July. Um, so I really couldn't tell. Yeah, that's super tell. pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't super pregnant. Not waddling around pregnant. Not waddling. Exactly. Not <laughs> waddling around yet. Um, so I, I asked the school before they told me my placement. I wrote a letter. I, I asked them you know, what do I need to do if I want to make an argument to stay in the city? I have, there's so much in terms of support. I need, my husband only works in the city. Our house is in the city. We do have a mortgage. We do own this home. You know, I don't want to give those things up. It would be very difficult. I have a child on the way. So I had to show proof that I was pregnant, you know, so I pretty much created an argument for why I should stay (laughs) in the city. Um, And if they didn't have space, then I was going to be very um, understanding and literally wait for the next year because that's how important it was for me to stay in the city. No, but it worked out. You're in school with with a kid getting ready to, or studying for step two. What's been the, the biggest transition for you from being a pre-med and working full-time as a nurse to now being a full-time student, full-time mom, full-time wife, and uh, still sounds like a part-time nurse. Yeah, well, I guess I am, I guess I am very good at compartmentalizing. I do. I think I, I can do that very well. Um, and then I also realize, and this is for you know everyone who may be parents or you don't have to be parents, just taking care of family members. Um, when thinking about medicine and entering medical school, um, you really have to give respect to how much time away from everyone that takes um, to be a good student. Um, And for me, I realized, you know, before I gave birth, man, I'm not going to be able to do this by myself, not with my husband only. He has to now work even more um, because I am, I will no longer be bringing in income, you know, going back to school. and so I, you know, I reached out to my mother, um, who was in Tennessee at the, the time, and I asked her, you know, m- you know, mother, I'm really thinking of, oh, well, I'm at this point where I've gotten accepted in the medical school and I'm about to give birth. And we really, 
we really would love your help if you would be kind enough to come help us by taking care of your granddaughter. Um, to which she obliged. She was so excited and happy. And, and that's honestly that's the only way, right? Like I tell people, they're like, how do you do this? I'm like, well, it's not me. I'm not doing this. Like you don't see the behind the scenes work because it's a whole team of us doing this. And, and as I went into medical school, you know, that's exactly what I told my husband and my mother, you know, my brothers, like this is a team effort. It's not about me alone. You know, if one of you guys are not able to do you know, your part that I can't do mine. So we kind of rely on each other. Um, it's not just a me um, becoming a physician. It's kind of like the family. It's, you know, having a physician. So, so I think that's, I think for a lot of people, um, you have to learn to reach out. You have to learn that you can't do everything. You're not supposed to, you're not superhuman, you know, we're not Superman and superwomen. So um, I think that's probably one of the biggest things I, even tell my peers who, you know, are getting married now and, you know, they're thinking about children while in med school. And I, you know, when I talk to them, you know, it's always, hey, don't think this it should be just you and him or, you know, you and your spouse. Um, it's a team effort. So bring in everyone, you know, cousins and brothers and sisters um, who could help, who could potentially help and yeah. let this be a team effort. You know, it's not, it shouldn't be a focus of just you. So. Looking back on your journey, you've you've had some stumbles and some detours, but you're in school now. You're progressing through, hopefully done with second year soon and past step one soon. Right. For those who are still at the beginning of their journey, coming off of a bad grade in gen chem, organic chemistry, whatever class they're struggling with and 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 ready to potentially pivot to their plan B, what sort of advice or motivation would you have for them to continue down this path? Um, I guess, I mean, I, I don't even think of those who are just stumbling, you know, grade wise or, you know, questioning their life because of a B or a C or even a D. But, you know, I always tell even those that I mentor now, you know, really look at um, what medicine, like ask people that are in it, <laughs> what medicine calls you to do and, and what it calls you, like how much does it take from being home or, you know, for those who want to be mothers, um, you know, looking at the trajectory of, you know, how long that will take and, you know, do you have a love for people so much that you're okay with possibly delaying your starting of your family and not finding yourself bitter about that, right? Um, that you care so much about taking care of others, um, going through a very intense four years of med school, um, and then going into training. I mean, I, I ask people to really look at the trajectory um, and know what. Um, I mean, you, you won't ever really know until you're in it, but to really investigate and hear other people's stories um, of still choosing medicine, right? And I, I don't know if a lot of people give enough reflection of what um, the sacrifice of going into medicine. I think there is one, um, or at least being non-traditional, I, I think there definitely can be. Um, but I'm finding it even among peers who are much younger than I am, you know, that a lot of them are, you know, they, they get frustrated by 
um, what they feel a delay in starting their lives, really. Um, and, and a lot of it is, you know, the females who are wanting children, you know, you know, looking for someone to settle with um, and trying to figure out timelines before they are finished with med school um, of how these things will play out. Um, so I, I actually encourage people first, you know, no matter, you know, they're just starting pre-med or they're so into it to really listen to people who are in it, to ask questions to those who are practicing medicine um, day in and out. And especially for those women, I find um, with timing of, of, of life outside of medicine, if, if possible. Right. Um, and then for those who've not done well, I think, you know, every day is like a new chance to start start anew. And I think when you are really burning and I think a lot of people who've you know, gotten to their goals, whether that's being an athlete or a student, you know, and they failed so many times, but they still get up and try. That's the thing that gets you to your goal. It's not that you stumbled and said, oh, I stumbled. Um, this is it. Unless you literally thought that was like you only had one shot like I did. I only thought I had one shot. There was no such thing as post-bac programs that I knew of going through my undergrad. You know, but there are now there are ways to to redeem yourself and to get back up. And so it's really how much do you want this? I mean, really, in the end, it's how much will you sacrifice? Will you stay up after being off work to go to school, you know, to sleep five hours, to get back up and do the thing again, because you want this that much? I mean, I think in the end, that's uh, what it comes down to really is how much do you want this? Um, you don't have to know all the answers. Um, that's why you reach out and ask people. I know for myself, I literally would email and I still do this today when I'm interested in a specialty, like, um, I'm interested in radiology. I literally will just go to uh, like Northwestern university's website. I'll go to Rush university's website. I'll look for radiologists and I literally just email them. <laughs> um, and I was doing that as a pre-med, you know, I want to talk to the medical school admissions directors at Vanderbilt or wherever and ask the questions, share with them my story and get feedback. Um, when you care about something so much, do the hard work of asking the right questions to know that you're on the right path um, and, and not give up. And I know that sounds very easy to say, don't give up. But really, when, you, when something's burning inside of you to do, um, I find the people who have that, that burn, um, you find ways to, to do it despite the obstacles. And that's what makes the story and the success so great. All right, there you have it. Edlita talking about her struggle with OCHEM, her path to medical school. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are struggling with your journey, just take a listen to all of these podcasts, right? 339 episodes now where we talk to a lot of students who have struggled, a lot of students, all of them that we have on the podcast who have overcome those struggles to get into medical school. I hope you have a great week. Come join us next week as we talk to someone else who had to overcome her struggles. 